recording has started, so this is Friday evening U.S. time uh, for our Sangha call. I'm glad to see all of you guys. Many of you are, are kind of new. It looks about half and half. So, um, <clears throat> uh, Keyshawn is also interested in this a little bit. Jeff, you want to uh, take it from here and, and start asking your questions, and we'll fill in all the stuff. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Um, I guess I've been kind of uh, thinking about different options for myself in terms of deepening the practice. And uh, one was to just go to a retreat center near my home on a regular basis every month. Another was to, you know, maybe visit a Watt, develop a relationship with some monks at a Watt near my house and spend time with them on a regular basis. And the final one was just to, you know, go to go to the source, so to speak, go to Thailand and uh, and uh, go to a Wat there and and ask to be a novice and train train as a novice and, and see how that goes. So well, um, I would suggest that you don't do it in that order. That you go wherever you're going to go and see how it goes without asking for anything. Okay. Okay, that's that's one of the big problems that Westerners uh, create for themselves by <laughs> by being so Western, by asking permissions and all of that kind of stuff. Um, actually, there's um, I begin to understand that there's a lot of cultural things that need to be um, addressed when one is going to the what. Um, and one of the issues um, is the Thai culture, not just the Thai culture, but the Thai, um, let us say, confirmation bias about their culture. And that one of the things that we can see that, um, by the way, I don't know how many of you have seen it, but um, Eric Zor is in a watch now in uh, Royette, and he has just put uh, on uh, the Google Maps uh, that the reference is there uh, of many photos that have been taken uh, by his friends, and he's posted those. Uh, Daniel, have you seen those photos? Okay. How about you, Keyshawn? Have you seen those photos? How about you, Jeff? I definitely have, yeah. They're great photos, yeah. Pardon? Yes, I've seen them. They're they're excellent photos. Yeah, there's a whole variety of them there. Okay. Um, one of the things that um, uh, the Westerners do that is, uh, let us say, a kind of a uh, a challenge or a roadblock for them, and that is that they show up at the Watt the way they are. You know, just come as you are. And that if you had seen those photos, you'd recognize that um, actually uh, the photos are, are of two different watts. Some of those photos are at Watt Soan Mok. I can easily see that. And all the, the photo backgrounds that I don't recognize, I assume, uh, are at the Watt in Royette. Uh, but in both of the watts cases, you will see a lot of um, uh, lay people there dressed in white 
Did you notice that, Daniel? Did you notice that uh, uh, Eric is dressed with a white shirt and a um, powder blue fishing pants to where all of the other lay people are dressed all in white? Yeah, Eric was wearing white. Um, I, I've had a couple of students who have showed up at Thai Watch uh, in the United States with uh, a full beard, backpack, um, uh, kind of Dama hippie mentality and pre presentation, and they don't get much feedback from the monks because they're not dressed properly, uh, and that uh, in in Thailand, because of Southeast Asia, Thais rarely, rarely uh, uh, have beards. They don't grow them. It's hard for them to grow anyway, and they're pretty scraggly and ugly anyway. So, uh, well, my screen is now bouncing back and forth for Keyshawn and Eric. Eric, one of you guys turn your cameras on. Either Keyshawn or Eric, turn your camera on so we can stop that flipping. <laughs> now it's settled. Hi. Hi, Eric. <laughs> Okay. I seem to be having some camera trouble, but I'm here. All right, good. Um, and so uh, the first thing that we can look at is, is that there's some cultural things that uh, we all make uh, the mistake of thinking that all the, the Taiwan is in America, therefore they are all American. Where in fact the Taiwans and the Laowats that are in uh, other countries are actually a cultural center, as well as a Wat, and it's Thai culture all the time. So they'd have Thai food, they have Thai um, language that they speak, et cetera, like that. And often uh, the Thai and Asian monks who are in the United States don't learn English because there's no one to teach it to them and they don't need it. But a lot of the lay people who do go to the Watt do speak English because they live in the United States and are, are, and they need to know the native language for working and whatnot like that. So there's sort of those cultural things that we have to be aware of. Uh, showing up in a full beard may not get you the kind of attention that showing up like Eric has showed up. Shaven, shorn, white clothes. If you show up at the Watt dressed that way, then um, you will much more likely feel like you fit in as well as the Thai people. So that's the first thing, uh, Jeff, is to be prepared to shave and buy a white shirt <laughs> and also not Western pants, but uh, uh, pajama pants would be uh, possibly the better way to say it. In fact, in Thailand, they it's referred to as the uh, uh, fisherman's pants because of the, 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 the looseness of it. Um, so the dress has a, um, a quality to it that if you're dressed for it, then you're more acceptable to get in. And so that would be one of the things. And I wanted to put that out because of all of the pictures of, um, uh, of Eric doing his sweeping and washing and uh, activities 
as well as there's one uh, photo of him actually leading a, a long group of people that are walking single file. And basically, this is how they practice walking meditation at Watsu and Mok. So one of the leads will, uh, like, uh, I remember them, Achan Po would lead. He just meander around the place very slowly and expect all of the people to follow in single lines, keeping distance between each one of them. Uh, and so that's a very characteristic kind of thing that they do um, at Watso and Moke and at other Watts. Um, uh, does anybody remember that photo? That yeah, I, I remember that. I remember seeing that, yeah. Yeah, okay. So um, the, the next thing that we can talk about, Jeff, is um, we come uh, like to Thailand with our own cultural bias, and one of the cultural biases that you mentioned was about um, uh, medical care, hospitalizations, uh, <clears throat> insurance, and that kind of thing. And Thailand has a national uh, health care system. It's quite unique. The first item on uh, the list to talk about that makes it understandable is, is that the Thai government has uh, free tuition for medical school. All you have to do is to sign a contract, say that after you finish your university education for either uh, becoming a, a doctor or a nurse, then you sign a 10-year contract so that you will do a 10-year internship at a government hospital. <laughs> Which means then that uh, all of the nurses are young, <laughs> and all the doctors are are young, uh, and that they go into private practice after they spent ten years of working for the government hospital. Uh, so this is one of the reasons why the prices are low, and also after people, if they if they quit their job after ten years at the hospital and go into private practice, they still have to compete with the government's uh, pricing, which is more, more or less free. And so medical care is completely differently organized in Thailand than it is in the United States. They have plenty of medical doctors here to where in the United States. They intentionally make it very difficult for people to get a medical degree. It's intentionally that way so that the old doctors can get rich. So the old doctors don't want new doctors on the scene. Um, the American Medical Association has had that wired for 100 years. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, I would say, Jeff, that you don't have to worry about Medicare or, excuse me, your, your medical situation in Thailand at all. Uh, there are actually two full... I mean, full hospitals in Thailand that are, uh, let us say, all of the medical supplies and everything is given by the government, but all of the doctors are monks. All of the nurses are monks. But in fact, the hospitals are also a combination of being a wat or a temple. 
And so um, that's where really, really sick monks will go when they need uh, hospitalization or whatnot like that. But generally what will happen is, is that a monk will go to the regular hospital and get very good treatment there without having to pay anything at all. Now, um, the, the way that it works with foreigners is, is that the, uh, depends upon which province you're in. Some of the provinces allow Westerners to come to their hospital. One of the places that I know for sure that that generally does not happen is in Bangkok because there's so many private hospitals there. And so uh, in the big cities, because there's private hospitals, uh, it's easier for the Westerner because the Western those hospitals that are private are also much more likely to speak English and other things like that. So um, as a layman in Thailand needing medical attention, it would be best for you to go to a private hospital. But if you're already ordained as a monk, then going to one of the government hospitals would be the thing to do. And if you really need serious attention, they've got actual hospitals for monks. Part of the reason for that has to do with that it's the Thai culture and most of the nurses are women. And women, the Thai women have a strong injunction. The actual rule itself is for the monks, that the monks are not supposed to touch women with, with lust in their mind or anything like that. But that just to be sure, they wind up not touching women at all under any situation which now means that the Thai women, in order to assist the monks, they've got a lot of magical belief that women are not supposed to touch monks. It is really bad luck for them. And for that reason, uh, female nurses do not want to attend to a monk. And so if you need just ordinary kinds of stuff, you can go and talk to the doctors or, or whatever like that. You, um, uh, but if you need blood drawn, uh, a male will do that blood drawing, not a nurse. And if you really need to be hospitalized, then it's better for you to go to a hospital where they have male nurses like monks. So there's that kind of cultural thing there. Uh, this, for most of you, is actually quite irrelevant, but just interesting. <laughs> and so... Um, the way that I would look at it is, is that um, a lot of people want to ordain to become a monk without understanding the proper reasons for that. That in fact, uh, many lay people will figure out that if they've got dukkha in their lives and in their family, it would be uh, an advantage for them to get their life together and still remain a layman. There's no problem with that. The problem, though, comes as if that layman is not associating with monks. But that's the important thing, is, is that uh, staying a layman and living in the Watt, staying a layman and going to the Watt often would be the way to go. But saying, oh, well, I'm a meditator and I can do it all by myself and not be around any of the monks is one of the major problems why Westerners don't make any progress in the Dhamma. They think they can do it on their own. 
that in fact the important way to talk about it is is to talk about the triple gem. I think that most of you have heard, uh, anybody has not ever heard of the triple gem, raise their hand to give me an idea how much I need to go into it. Okay, so everybody's heard of the, the triple gem. The triple gem is the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And the Sangha winds up being the most important. But in fact, a young man in Thailand going to ordain as a monk, not practice meditation, do whatever chanting he is doing and doing the chores that he does for 20 years, and he'll wind up becoming noble because he's associating with nobles. People talk to him in a noble way, and he responds in a noble way, and he actually then, by osmosis, the Dhamma comes in that way. Uh, and yet in Western uh, uh, systems, uh, people get the idea that, that Buddhism is all meditation all the time, where no, actually the teaching of the Buddha has to do with our association with our environment. And the environment's on the inside and on the outside. And so um, the, the practice of the Dhamma is actually the practice of learning to become friends. And most of the time when we are in meditation on our own, we, we want to fix things that are broken inside, which means that we're not very friendly with our own mind. We're hard on ourselves, just like we've been hard on ourselves the way that we learned to be hard on ourselves in childhood. And so uh, the one-two punch basically would be the Buddha and the Dhamma gets the mind into a happy, wholesome, friendly state on the inside, and then the Sangha is being able to practice in a happy, wholesome, friendly way with all of the people that you associate with. Everybody. Okay? That's really hard to do when you're associating with people in the United States or in normal culture who are greedy, ignorant, racist, bullies, all of the kinds of stuff that you have to deal with in the Western world, you don't have to deal with any of that stuff at the watch. And so you have a much better chance of getting uh, value out of your time uh, because the people that you're associating with are noble-minded. And so now the question is, is that if you're going to be a layman and stay a layman, how are you going to get those noble friends? Well, one of the ways that we can do that is finally right here on the Internet, we're beginning to get a noble uh, sangha going uh, on the Internet. And that's actually the only thing that would be available for many of the people. In fact, they don't even know it about it, that many Western meditators will go to a retreat where they're supposed to stay silent. They don't make any friends there. At the end of the retreat, the new student doesn't have any uh, friendship or association with the teacher, nor does he have it with any of the other students, and everybody goes home, and not much change happens because of those retreats or just a, a short one-time shot that doesn't even develop most important skills that need to be developed, which is the, the, the skill of friendship. <laughs> so um, we can, in fact, stay, uh, keep a job, 
do your thing as a layman, but we still need to have noble friends. Now, the surprise is, is how many um, Asian watch there are in the West, especially in the United States because of the uh, Vietnamese War. There's literally millions of Vietnamese, maybe more than a million Cambodians, maybe a million um, Laotians, and probably even more than that of the Thai. Now, the funny thing about it is, is that the Vietnamese, the Laotians, and the Cambodians were all refugees. All the Thais came to the United States because they were brides of the war boys who used uh, Thailand as their base uh, and uh, for R&R. And so uh, that's why many of the Thai Wats in the United States are close to military bases. Uh, a clear example of that is uh, in Sumter, South Carolina, there are two Thai Wats. Why in Sumter, South Carolina? Because of Shaw Air Force Base. There are five Wats in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Most of the, in fact, most of the Thai Wats in, Thai, uh, in North Carolina are in Fayetteville. Does anybody know why they would be in Fayetteville? Because of Fort Bragg. <laughs> Also, I haven't been there, but I understand that there's quite a number of watch around Fort Hood, as well as in Oklahoma City, about uh, because of Tinker Field. Uh, there's also watch in Seattle, et cetera, like that. But now there's watch in all of the big cities. And so um, one of the things that happens with Westerners when they come to Buddhism, they think, oh, well, the only Buddhism I can find is in a bookstore or on Reddit or by paying for a high-priced retreat. And in fact, there's very little Buddha Dhamma Sangha in a bookstore. Maybe, maybe some Dhamma in a book, uh, but there's no Buddha in that bookstore, uh, nor on Reddit for that matter. But if you go and intentionally go to find local watch to go to, that's one of the reasons why I wanted pra, uh, uh, to be uh, on this call today was because he can give you from his own personal experience that open invitation, yes, come to the watch. That in fact, he's already offered one student in Florida a plane ticket to come to Chicago just to come. He, the, the monks themselves will play, will find their own way Followers. In fact, uh, Pratip says that he has a, uh, a friend who works for one of the airlines. And so he can get tickets for people uh, uh, to come and stay at, at the watch. But if you just walk in off the street to a watch um, <clears throat> and you're in full beard and uh, regular um, uh, Western clothing and whatnot, dressing down, um, the, the ties will note that, but if you come in shaven and shorn with a white shirt on, they'll, they'll get that message also. So be careful about how you show up at a watch. Uh, there's actually an old, uh, video that we did 10, uh, two, two or three years ago about how to go to a Western watch, uh, what to expect there. Because most of the people who go to the Western Watch, they go 
for um, the museum quality. They go for all the artwork and they're, they're, they're tourists. And so the, uh, the Thai people or the Asian people who live in the Wat, they see Westerners coming to the Wat as tourists. They don't give them very much other than perhaps a tour of the Wat, other than a tour of the Dhamma. Uh, and so um, how you uh, approach the Wat is very important. Now, one of the things that happens in both uh, Western culture uh, as well as Thai, but it's very strong in Thailand, and that's the issue of uh, a agency or uh, introductions. That, in fact, one of the reasons why um, Eric was able to fit in so well was because I gave introductions that... Uh, um, Robert, uh, a good friend who lives in Chiang Mai, he is very fluent in Thai language, and he knows many of the monks in the United States. So he and I got together, got with um, Achan Tep in uh, Washington, D.C., who then got us in touch with Achan Reet in Seattle and gave Achan Reet an introduction about Eric. And so Eric spent quite a lot of time in the Watts in Seattle. And now he's in Thailand also through that, um, basically through the introductions that we gave, as well as the fact that he's willing to fit in. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, I, I forgot your name, DM. The shirt that you're wearing is proper. Josh, the shirt that you're wearing is a no-no. Don't show up with pictures on your chest. <laughs> okay, so those would be two um, uh, situations there that would immediately give people the idea that Josh is a tourist and DM is looking for more than that just because of the way you're dressed and the fact that you've got a little bit of beard where... Uh, no, no shave, and if you actually shave your head, that's a real message to them that you're serious. And so go shaven and shorn with white shirt, white pants, that's a direct sign that uh, you're not a tourist. Showing up with a great big bushy beard and a plaid shirt or one that's a picture and the monks are not going to pay much attention to you. Um, and that's happened before. Uh, so I wanted to make sure that you understand uh, that how we present ourselves as Westerners is being seen uh, through the eyes of the Asians and what they would expect at a Wat. So going back to those photos, you'll notice that all of the lay people, by the, sometimes dozens and, uh, of people there, are all dressed in white when they go to the Wat. So, um, and there's a lot of watch available to go to. But on our conversation with Achan Reed, he says that already now there's more than 200 watts, Thai watts in the United States, as well as probably another 200 uh, Lao and Cambodia, and probably another 200 Vietnamese watts. Uh, and so if you are 
let us say, dress for it, then you'll fit right in. It would be like a costume ball. If you go to a costume ball and you're not wearing a costume, everybody notices that. Or if you, uh, uh, let us say, join a marching band and you're there for everybody's in uniform and you're not in uniform, then you kind of stick out. So that's the, uh, the position that we want to understand if we're well-dressed for it. And the second thing to do when we get to the, uh, to the what, wherever it is, um, <clears throat> is to either mention or have a photo of Achan Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. Now in the Thai language, they call him Tanachan Puttatat. So that would be the way that you would uh, talk about it. If you want to talk about Dhamma, the way to introduce it is by talking about Achan Puttatat. Because Achan Puttatat is kind of the code word in Thailand for uh, the noble Dhamma as opposed to the ordinary kind of Dhamma that most people in the world have, which is actually much more of Hinduism than it is actual the teachings of the Buddha. Um, and here's an example of that. Uh, this happened with David, who was a good friend of mine and also a monk at Wat Soen Mo, and hadn't got his visa stuff straightened out because of he had just arrived. He was actually ordained in the United States. And so he came uh, <clears throat> to go get his visa, and he went to Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, and there is a very large, uh, well-connected Thai Wat in Kuala Lumpur, and at, the, and at that particular time, it was not a Thai monk, but it was a Sri Lankan monk who was the abbot. And so he was standing there waiting to talk to the uh, abbot of the uh, Wat. And the abbot was talking to an old Chinese woman, talking in English, because uh, that would be the only language that they would have in common. And her husband had just died. And so uh, this uh, Sri Lankan abbot was talking to her in condolences in the sense of, oh, your dead husband is fine, he's in heaven, and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And when David heard all of that, he said, oh, well, I'm at the wrong place with this dude. But he stayed anyway, and as soon as David had told him that he had come from Watsuan Mo, this monk changed his style immediately. Okay, so if you use the introduction of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa as... Um, your uh, knowledge of, of Buddhism, you'll either get a very, very friendly welcome, which means that the monks there already know the name of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, or um, if they don't know who he is, that doesn't mean that they don't know the Noble Dhamma, but that's a really good test that you can make. Uh, that we can actually spend a couple of minutes on on this particular point that when I was first at Watso and Mok, I had the idea that Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa was unique. He was on his own. And yes, he was, but not for the reason that I thought it was. That in fact, that he was, uh, later I came to understand that he was part of a lineage, that he actually had a, uh, a teacher, and his teacher was the Samgat 
Tsongaraj, the top monk in Thailand, 1920 to about 1950. And so um, because of a talk that Bhikkhu Buddha made, he got himself into trouble because he was teaching the Noble Dhamma and they had kind of a trial. It's called a Sangha Decessor, which we have 20 monks as, as judges. And the outcome of that um, trial that he had was that he was teaching the right thing to the wrong people. The right thing to the wrong people. And he continued to do that for the rest of his career in the sense that he uh, did not wait for people to be ready for the Noble Dhamma. He would teach it to whoever would listen. And he be, um, actually, he became the teacher then of many, many of the famous monks in Thailand. Uh, for instance, was a and he's the abbot, he was at the time, the abbot of the largest temple in Bangkok, or in actually all of Thailand. Um, and so, uh, Achan Cha, you probably heard of, was also a student of Bhikkhu Buddhadas. In fact, I met Achan Cha at Wat Soen Mo, along with Achan Samedo. So there's a great deal of interconnectedness and friendship among the monks in Thailand, and that is available to you if you know how to approach it, getting the right introductions and whatnot like that. So uh, that's one of the things that I kind of do here in South Thailand is uh, to keep track of what's happening at Wat Suan Mo, what's happening at the International Dhamma Hermitage, what's happening at Dom Kiem, and what's happening at uh, Deepa Bawan, where Achan Cho uh, and um, uh, Achan Dhamma Bitu normally stay. Uh, but I was quite surprised that um, one of the senior monks who was visiting Watsu and Mok actually saw the potential in Eric because he was dressed right and all the stuff and he'd been to the Wat before and everything like that. And so this senior monk whisked him off to Royette, which I think is just, it kind of proves um, that Westerners are, are very, very warmly welcomed in the Wats if they present themselves as something other than, uh, let us say, the ugly American. <laughs> so, Jeff, do you have any more questions about this? Um, we covered a lot. This is great. Thank you. Um, I guess I, I had some questions about language difficulty, but but since there's you're you're kind of aware of, of of the Watts in Thailand, and you know who has teachers who speak English. I assume that's not really much of an issue. I'm not quite following you. Can you elaborate a little? Well, bit? just uh, just the kind of the language barrier, because I'm sure a lot of the Watts they don't have they don't have teachers who speak English. But I assume that's not much of a, an issue if you know someone as a, like yourself who can make introductions. Well, here's here's the thing is, is that the language is not so important. Um, one of the remarks that I got uh, back from Eric was is that he um, equated 
his teacher with Achan Po and my relationship to Achan Po. Back in the 1980s, Achan Po did not speak English very well. Now he speaks it well enough to give Dhamma talks at the retreats. But back then he didn't speak English very well. And yet I got a whole lot of Dhamma from him. One-liners, just being around him uh, and having him care for me was enough Dhamma. I mean, he did not have to teach me friendship by using English language like friend. He taught me friendship by being a friend, which is beyond language. And so Eric said the same thing with him, is, is that his new teacher, Achan uh, Santi, does not speak good English, but he speaks really excellent Dhamma. And so I would not worry about the, the language barrier, uh, rather the selection of which watch to go to is the, is the key. And the, the answer to that is by asking the right question that would have the Kabutadasa's name in it. Now that's not always the case. I'll give you a very short example of that is, is that I had a young Lao uh, man who actually spoke English from childhood. Some, oh, you're back. Okay. Sorry about that. I, I pushed the wrong button. I apologize. All right. Well, your screen went all over the place here. So anyway, um, the, the story that I was about to tell is, is that there was a young Laotian monk who lived uh, at a Wat in High Point, North Carolina, a Lao Wat, and he was raised in the United States and spoke native English, but he did not speak Lao very well. But he was living in the Lao Wat, and his, his uncle was kind of the abbot, but he ordained in order to take care of his uncle. Now, you don't have that in the West. That's family for you. When you've got an elderly monk and you've got a nephew who's willing to ordain just to take care of his elderly uh, uncle. Well, uh, we fell into a relationship where I was teaching him the Dhamma and he goes back to his uncle and rats on me. <laughs> and the next thing that I know about it was is that they arrange a, a trip to where the two of them take me to Denver to meet um, basically the, the monk, uh, the Lao monk in Denver, Colorado was the second highest monk in the United States. In fact, Achan Bunmi in Wat, uh, Lao, Washington was the, the Sangha Raj or the head monk uh, in uh, the U.S. tradition. And this monk in Denver started questioning me because he could not possibly understand that a Westerner would even ordain, never mind the fact that a Western monk would actually ordain and know the noble Dhamma. And so through these, uh, 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 through these three guys, I, I wound up traveling a lot in, in the Lao community, staying a lot in the Lao tradition. Uh, because uh, they recognized that I knew the Dhamma, even though the language was not secure. 
but none of these monks that I knew spoke Dhamma, or let us say spoke English, but they spoke Dhamma. And that's what we need to do. We need to be friends. And, it, and language often is a barrier to friendship. Uh, and, and not only that, but that teaches another thing. And that is, is that even the Lao monks who have never heard of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa doesn't mean that they're going to be ordinary, uh, magical, believing kind of guys, that the noble Dhamma is there to anybody if you get the right introductions to it. In fact, the old, old ways is that um, because of some history in India, that uh, the noble Dhamma had kind of gone underground. It still existed within the Sangha of monks. So that about two thirds of the monks never got the real Dhamma. Only a few would, would get the real Dhamma. And the reason for that is, is because the real Dhamma is really dangerous to society. Your society wants you to work, wants you to do your thing, wants you to make money and by that way produce and make something for the society. The real noble teachings of the Dhamma is, is that you can be happy without doing any of that stuff. Just become a layabout, be a, you know, wisely hang out and have nothing to do. And um, a lot of people don't like that. And so there, uh, there are enemies. Uh, an example of that would be there's one monk known as uh, Buddha Gosa who wrote a book called the Vasudhi Maga. And it appears that he wrote that book in order to water down the teachings of the Buddha so that the Brahmins, his Brahmin family, could continue to make money off of funerals. Because, uh, the, um, you probably heard about the burning hots of uh, Varanasi, to where in order to get your body cremated at Varanasi, you've got to get a, give the Brahmins all of your land. The, the families of wealthy people wind up with nothing because the Brahmins get it all in order for them to do the ceremonies around your death. And um, uh, so those kind of people don't like the noble Dhamma because they can't make any money off of the people who are nobly minded. And so uh, Buddhism kind of got wiped out in India because of that. Uh, Nalanda University was leveled. About 80 million Buddhists were killed off, but not all of them because that was a mass migration. In fact, it was a huge number of uh, monks showing up in uh, China, Japan, Thailand, all over the place because of the massacre that happened in India. But that left them with the point that the student has to write, has to ask the right question to the right teacher at the right time in order for them to be given the noble dhamma. And that's been the case. And Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa says, well, in the 1930s, we've already changed enough. Now it's the time that we can let the dhamma, the correct noble dhamma, get out. And so he uh, spent the rest of his life bringing the Thai people into a noble perspective of their religion. And it was Achan Po who got very interested in the Westerners. And that's why Achan Po 
uh, spent time with me. And I was very fortunate for that. Uh, to where Bhikkhu Buddhadasa himself was much more interested in getting the Thai people to know the Noble Dhamma. So there's a huge amount of literature that's never been translated out of the Thai into English. But enough. There's quite a number of books. I recommend all of you to go uh, Google Bhikkhu Buddhadasa uh, to find out. Uh, the books to start with would be Handbook to Mankind and the, and, uh, the ABCs of Buddhism. Those are good books to get started on. Um, <clears throat> and so back to the idea then is, is that we have to pick what, what we're going to go to carefully, but more than likely the avid of whatever what you go to will be noble because the Thai people know what a good monk is and they, when they go to form their Wat, they want people come to the Wat uh, from Asia that are worthwhile them bringing. That if a young monk, say, of 10 years really wants to come to the United States, the Thai people will assume, oh, well, he wants to come just to get to America and he'll disrobe once he gets to America, so there's no reason to bring him. We want really senior monks to come because they're coming for the Dhamma, not coming to America. And so uh, we wind up having a number of really, really excellent monks in the West. So your probability is high if you know how to ask the right questions. Somebody had his hand up. Was that you, Josh? No, somebody had their hand up. I don't see it now. Okay. Um, I think that was Daniel. I think he was saying that he had to go. Oh, okay. All right. So, uh, where is uh, Daniel Romney? Okay, so he's he's left now. Does anybody have any questions about this? Samarado, Jeff here again. Um, the, I was speaking to Ajahn Viradamo, who is the abbot of Tassarana Monastery in, in Perth, Ontario, near close to like Kingston, Ottawa area. And uh, he was actually one of the one of the first Western students of Ajahn Chah. I believe he actually met Bhikkhu Buddhadasa. And I was talking to him about the age limits that they they allow, like at his monastery, it seems like most in the United States and Canada, they, they have an upper age limit of 50. And he was saying the reasoning behind that was that being an Anagarka is very physically demanding, for one thing. And secondly, learning, learning Pali and, and all the studies involved and all the memorization work is is quite difficult and may be too much to ask for someone who's who's older. So what, what's your take on that? I know in Thailand you're saying it's not an issue, but what do you think that's an obstacle? Um old age, sickness and death is an obstacle to everybody. Getting old is an obstacle take my word for it, but you're going to have to try it sometime yourself. 
if you're lucky. If you're not lucky, you'll be dead before you get old. But if you're lucky, you'll have to go through being old. Uh, and the older we are, the more kind of set in our ways that we are. Uh, in fact, that's part of the reason why they don't want old people in the military is because uh, uh, when the D.I. comes to the young guy and he says, you're a piece of crap. Get down there and give me 20 push-ups. And the guy does like that. You tell a 60-year-old man, you're a full of crap. Get down and give me 20 push-ups. And the guy will say, what? <laughs> you expect me to do push-ups? <laughs> okay. So that's part of the issue is that the body is just not ready to do uh, many of the things that it's not used to doing. Uh, learning to go barefoot, that's something that, believe me, that was a hard one for me, especially says Achan Po intentionally would take me down a gravel road. And then, <laughs> and then there's also um, a, a kind of a plant here in Thailand that's just all over the place. It's almost like a grass. And it's got two characteristics. One is, is that if you touch the plant, it will fold up. Another characteristic is, is that it's got thorns. If you step on it, it'll tell you all about it. And so you have to really learn to, to walk carefully and to watch where you're going. But that's the whole point about going barefoot anyway, is because when people have big boots on, they can just stomp around and just step into anything and get the boots dirty. But if you're walking barefoot, you got to watch where you're going. That takes mindfulness. Okay, so that's one of the things. Also, I found it difficult to sleeping on hard surfaces until I've learned the trick of you don't sleep on your back because your back will hurt. Your tailbone will hurt. You don't sleep on your, uh, on your stomach. You sleep on your side, the lion's pose. And so if you uh, learn to sleep on your side, then you can handle harder firmer mattresses like a wooden. Another thing to look at is, is that you have to be healthy in order to ordain part of the ordination ceremonies uh, has six items on it that basically is tuberculosis, smallpox, um, uh, cholera, um, infectious diseases. If you've got an infectious disease, the monks don't want you to bring that into their community just because they have availability of medical care. Uh, another issue is, is that you have to be debt free, that the monks don't want some uh, debt collector to wander into the Watt making trouble for you or the Watt. Because they'll always go and say, well, this guy's uh, been ordained in your what now. You have to pay his bills. Another one is, is that you're not wanted by the authorities. The cops don't want you. The FBI doesn't want you, whatever like that. In fact, there was a situation in the United States back in the 1980s. I don't know what the outcome was, but this guy confessed to me that he was actually wanted by the FBI and he was hanging out in the monkhood getting caught by the FBI. He didn't stay at the Watt that I was at long enough, so I don't know what the, the situation was. 
when a nun told me that, uh, when I told her that, actually she was a, a, a an actually a bikuni, so she was serious. Uh, all the uh, nun, uh, many people think of in Thailand of the white dressed uh, women, but this was a full bikuni. And when I had told her that, she was aghast. She says, "Why didn't you turn this guy in?" And the answer to that is, "Turn him into who? Turn him into." What he's already ordained. So um, those are issues about ordination. Is that you have to be healthy. Now I also met an uh, an elderly layman at Wat Suen Mok. He was living there, and I think that Achan Po intentionally put our kuti or put me in a kuti close to his, so that we had a relationship, and that uh, I was a monk and he was an elderly Thai man. And he was Dhamma, 100% Dhamma. And I asked him, well, why don't you uh, ordain? And he gave me the example of uh, it, the, the, poly, the Thai word is uh, Mingda. Now, Mingda is a, um, it's a cuttlefish. And that the way that the cuttlefish have sex is, is that the, uh, the female has the male on top of her and the female drags the male around and he just stays on top of her and that's the way and so that's the the mentality of in Tainan that oh if he ordains as an old man then the Sangha will have to take care of him rather than uh, as a young monk knowing the Dhamma learning the Dhamma and then being in the Dhamma for 10 20 30 40 years as a monk you're of great value as a teacher, as an elder to the, uh, uh, to the Sangha itself. But if you ordain as an old man, then you're not going to live long enough to be of real value to the, uh, the Sangha. Now, that was totally incorrect with this Thai monk, or excuse me, this Thai uh, layman that I was talking about, because he was already steeped in the Dhamma. He was living at Watsuanmok. He had been living at Watsuanmok for a long time, so I don't know what his actual excuse was for not ordaining, but he didn't need to, didn't have to ordain. He was just comfortable and fine being um, a layman, uh, living at the Wat, and the whole time I was there, he was there. He didn't go back home ever. Uh, so I... I got the idea wrongly at that time. That put a burr in my hat. Oh, you've got to ordain because the retirement age is 55. And so that planted in my mind, oh, you've got to be under 55 in order to ordain. The answer to that when I actually started talking to some senior monks is, is that, no, that's not a rule. That was just something that was in this guy's mind, that there is no age limit. But in fact, uh, by joining the Sangha, you're already being of value just by being a monk, by caring enough about your own uh, mind and getting it straightened out and caring about being friends with other people. That's sufficient. But we don't want to be a burden in the sense of being sick, but being old. But in fact, I've had several monks within the past few years, after I was 70 years old. In fact, one of them was Achan Reed. He says, why don't you come to Seattle and ordain again? 
so I'm that that's not an issue. They want old people if they know the Dhamma. But you don't have to ordain to be at a at a Wat. But there's uh, huge numbers of people who live at various temples all over the place that don't ordain, and that gives them a freedom to come and go out of the Wat without having, uh, let us say, um, uh, the busybodies checking up on you. Uh, so I would say that good health is more of an issue than age itself. That in fact, age is kind of more of a mental issue than it is a physical issue. So if your body is healthy, I wouldn't say that that would be a, a, a reason or a rationale to not ordain. One thing that I would like to make sure of, and that is, is that it would be better for um, Westerners who are wanting to come to Thailand and get really into the depths of the Sangha to go stick your toe into the uh, Awat in the United States and become familiar with the people there. But in fact, the, the Achan at that Wat may even know of an Achan in Thailand to send you to. Like I said, it's, a, it's, a, it's an old boys club and it's all interconnected. They connect together. They communicate with each other. Getting an introduction is the, the right way to do it. And because I introduced uh, Gray, uh, Eric Dachan Po, it was really easy then for him to find a master teacher that's going to whisk him off up to Boyette and, and train him for becoming a, uh, a Samanim, which is uh, first ordination. Does that answer your question, uh, Jeff? Yes, that's excellent. Thank you. Yeah, it's not an issue. It doesn't matter how old you are. What matters is, can you handle, uh, you know, let us call it this way. Uh, the, the monk's robe, including the bowl, and all of the equipment that a monk would carry out on Tudong is actually ancient camping gear. If you can handle going camping, you can handle being a monk, because that's what the monks are doing. They're just out camping, just wandering around with each other, going down the pathways, winding up at this water, that water. And they do that about nine months of the year. And the other three months of the year, they do it by having what is called Ponzo, where they stay in one place. That in fact, Wat Amaravati in uh, Mendocino California, uh, County, California, they've changed their Ponza time to the dead of winter. So they have their retreat January, February, and March. Where in Thailand, they still have the tradition of doing it during the monsoon, except that the monsoon that they have is the traditional monsoon of India. So the actual ponds of time in Thailand doesn't actually meet the rain season of Thailand. That the ponds is more than, more than likely almost over by the time the rains really happen. The heavy rains in Thailand is November and December to where the ponds is normally September and October. So, 
uh, being ready to go camping. That's the way to look at it. I'd get a hunt to camp in, but uh, when there's a huge number of people, like at Watsu and Milk, there was one time when there was really, really double the number of monks at Watsu and Milk, and most of them were camped out. They take their, their uh, umbrella and put the, uh, the, the stuff around it. They can make a hammock out of the, uh, 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 the heavy robe. Uh, use it as a blanket, use it as sleeping gear. And so um, your, your tent, you wear that. Uh, there's, there's two big robes. One is the robe that they wear and have it around their neck around that. And then you'll see another robe that's braced across the shoulder. And that's the big heavy. That's actually a double robe mostly. Uh, it's two robes all sewn together. And so when you're out in the tudong, that extra heavy robe then is strong. It can be used as a tent, it can be used as a uh, sleeping bag, it can be used as uh, uh, weather gear. Uh, so that's the way that you can think of it is, is that, oh, if you want to go to the Watt, just go thinking about going camping. You can handle going camping at age 75. You can handle going to the Watt at 75. You can handle going to the uh, camping at 90 years old. You can handle going camping at the Watt. And there's no age restriction, but there is a restriction on good health. Josh, do you have any questions about this? Um, I guess just sort of like, uh, is there sort of a foolproof way to kind of know, is this person following the Noble Dhamma or are they just kind of ordinary? All right. It depends upon the circumstances, but one of the things that I learned from Ajahn Po, actually there are two things and they fit closely together. Number one is, is that while you can see people's behavior and you can gather a lot of information by watching behavior, body movements, etc., you do not know what's in their mind. Okay, you do not know what's in their mind other than through logical uh, uh, observation. So that's one point. And then the real item is, is that it then means that it takes a long time to figure out if someone is noble. You have to observe them for quite a while. But that's also the other way around it, backwards in the sense of how do you know that you're noble? Is by observing over a long period of time, like, oh, wow, it's been five years since I've gotten angry. It's been two years since I even yelled at anybody. I use my voice, okay? So that's the way of monitoring yourself and other people is through direct observation over a long period of time. And if they don't exhibit any ignoble features over a long period of time, then you can assume that they're practiced well enough that they're going to continue not dealing in low-class behavior. But walking away from you is not necessarily ignoble because he's just decided that you're just as a bum and you're probably a tourist and he's not going to spend much time with you. But if you walk up to him 
bow, uh, dress correctly, and all of that kind of stuff, he'll probably grab you by the arm and says, come with me, young man. <laughs> so could you um, present your nobility to them and then try to trigger them? <laughs> Yes, exactly. If you present yourself in a noble fashion, a noble way to them, then that will give them, uh, let us say, the um, that the feedback. Then, so it becomes a mutual feedback. If they, if you give him noble, he'll give you noble, and you give him noble, and he'll give you a whole lot of noble. That would be the way of looking at it. If you give him tourist, he's going to see you as a tourist. And um, uh, to re-emphasize, one of the things that I would say is, is that before, Jeff, you come to Thailand, check out somewhat or another. Go make some friends. In fact, I'm really appreciative that Keyshawn, who was up there in the corner, being a lifeguard, spreading his legs and all of that, he actually went to the Wat in uh, Chicago and has brought Achan Pratek uh, uh, back with him and so that we've got actually a noble monk that is part of our community. Uh, he was going to be on today but he didn't uh, at the last minute he told me that he wasn't going to be able to make it. So thank you Keyshawn. Go get us another monk. Go visit some of the other watch. That in fact uh, Achan Pratet actually said that he was not staying now currently at what do a uh, uh, Dhamma Ram uh, in Hinsdale, but that uh, he was living there. Now, uh, the Wat that I just mentioned, Wat Dhamma Ram, is actually a, a, a Wat that was established with money from Wat Suen Mok. And they are dedicated. Also, uh, Wat Atamayata Rama in Seattle is actually a Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa Wat. And also the Watt in Vancouver was established by the Watt in uh, Seattle. And they too are, uh, let us say, uh, have great big photos of Vicar Buddha Dasa and his books to give away. So those are the kind of places that you would want to find is the Watts that already are established in the Noble Dhamma and the way that, and the, um, let us say, the key that we have is so that's the way that you tell. Can't tell right away, but you can get some signs. And and having big photos of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, that's kind of the behavior you can look at and say, oh, well, somebody's got a mindset that has the ability to put up a, uh, a, a, a two-foot, five, three-foot, uh, photo in a nice frame of Vicar Buddha Dasa in their main hall. But you don't know. And not only that, but when I use the word noble, what I actually mean by that is someone who is dedicated to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, or they have taken refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. So more than likely, any monk that you meet is already noble, even if he is not well-behaved all the time. 
but he's going in the right direction. That after one becomes a soda pond, they're noble, but they still haven't finished off all of their anger or all of their ill will, and they haven't finished off all of their greed yet, but they're on the way to doing that. And so uh, it's much better then to have a really good close friend who is sotapan, who is steeped in the Dhamma, cares about the Dhamma, enthusiastic about the Dhamma, very joyful about the Dhamma. Those are much better people to associate with, even though they're not quite pure enough up to your standards. Those are much better people to deal with than your average person that you'll meet on the street in the West. It's much better to associate with monks than it is to associate with ordinary class people. And many, many students have come, come and said, oh, you know, I really want to practice and I really want to understand the Dhamma, but I've got no one that I know that I can talk to about the Dhamma. don't know anybody. The answer to that would be, okay, go find some people that are worthy of you paying attention to. Go look on the internet, find out what watch are close to you, go visit them, go find out what's going on. But also do so by presenting yourself, not as a tourist, but as a Dhamma dude. And that would be the better way to do it rather than coming to Thailand. Now, uh, part of the problem with the coming to the Thailand for the past several years has been COVID that the Thai government is super strict and still is. In fact, a lot of people in Thailand still wear a mask. How many mask wearers are, uh, do you find in the United States? In Thailand, about half the people are on the street are wearing a mask. In fact, the, mo the people who are most unlikely to wear a mask is Westerners. But the Thai people are still wearing masks. They're very, very strict about the COVID. But they have loosened up now. So if you're all going to come to Thailand, the only thing that you really need is your vaccination for COVID certificate. You don't have that, they'll quarantine you. They used to quarantine them for two weeks. I think it's only a two-day quarantine now for the, uh, for the testing and the results. Uh, but if you come with the vaccination, then it's easy to come to Thailand. But I would never recommend somebody arriving at the huge airport in Bangkok without any further plans. You kind of need to know where you're going. Finding up at, at the airport in Thailand after you just got off the plane is not enough preparation. <laughs> you need to know some people. And that's part of the job that I perform is, is that I can help you get around Thailand. I can give you information about travel, about where watts are, and I'm really glad to, to find that I've got another watt now, the one in Royette, to add to my list of places to go. But, it, but I would not recommend anybody just getting off the airplane and heading up to Royette and, uh, and meeting up with Eric and staying at that watt. I would recommend that they come here first, like Eric did, go and meet Achan Po, check out Watso and Mo do a retreat down here, and then you more than likely will meet a, yet another senior monk from yet another Watt that's going to take you to someplace. 
So a lot of the whole thing here is done through friendship and through contacts and through agencies. If you just show up, they don't know who you are. And so that's the kind of an attitude that they have. But if you show up and, and they say, oh, yeah, that's right. I just got a call from Ashan Poe. I know who you are. So that's the better way of doing it, is that you don't just show up, that you make contacts first. And the best way to make those contacts is in the watch in the West. They go... Uh, become part of the show. Move into the Watt in, uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina. Go move in the Watt in uh, Amarillo, Texas. Watts all over the place. And I would recommend that you associate with those and slowly, slowly move in. That would be the way to do it. But if you're gung-ho about coming to Thailand, let me know first. <laughs> so I can give you some advice about what to do and where to go. So, uh, is it Aaron? Do you have any questions? Um, no, I'm just glad that you're giving us this opportunity and keeping the the gateway open. You're like a gateway monk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so Swami in in India one time gave me the name of Amido. What's that? Uh, Amido is another word for Amitabha. Do you know the word Amitabha? I know it was a Buddha, Amitabha Buddha. Like, it's like it's Japanese. basically known as the Buddha of the West. Maitri, mm -hmm. the future Buddha of the West. Somebody's going to come along and open the door of Buddhism to the West. I'm happy to do that, but I don't have to be of any label. I'm just kind of doing the job. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Eric, do you have anything to say? That was me. I, I thought you were asking. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I heard Aaron before. That's that's me. I think our names are very similar. So. Yeah. <laughs> His is with a K and yours is with a C. <laughs> He's got a really zonker kind of name, and you've got a, a, a Latino name. <clears throat> That's how I told the difference. Anyway, yes, Eric, do you have anything? Um, Any questions before we finish? This, this is Aaron here. I was wondering if there's like... Um, um, you know, um, like we have in Christianity with the different sects, or is there that kind of thing in Thai Buddhism? Actually, that sectarianism is a very Western thing, and all Westerners kind of assume that there are sectarians, and they've got names for them, like Theravada and Zen and Virjana and Mahayana and all of that kind of stuff, right? But those labels have more to do with location and language and have very little to do with sectarianism. That basically there's two uh, ways of looking at sectarianism in Buddhism. 
and that is those who are noble and know what the actual teaching of the Buddha are, and then the vast majority of people are confused, and they don't know what the teachings of the Buddha are, but they call themselves Buddhist anyway. Okay, that's about all of Western Buddhism. They call themselves Buddhist, but they don't know what they're talking about. Okay, that's the two sectarians. And here are several examples of that. One is the Sri Lankan monk that uh, David met in Malaysia. Another one was the Lao monks that I met. Okay, I've also been on tour with the Cambodians because I lived at Wat Greensboro as a Cambodian Wat, and so I spent quite a lot of time in Cambodia. And it's the same thing there. They don't know the name Bhikkhu Dasa, but they know the distinction between noble and non-noble. And now for the coup de grace on that answer is, is that we have a video on our YouTube channel of the Dalai Lama with Bhikkhu Buddhadasa, where the Dalai Lama calls Bhikkhu Buddhadasa his elder Dhamma brother, which is another word for he's my teacher. Okay, so Bhikkhu Buddhadasa is actually the teacher of the Dalai Lama. Now, how uh, most people say that's, you know, how could that possibly be? Because not only is it Bhikkhu Buddhadasa in Thailand and uh, uh, the Dalai Lama is in Damsala, but they're not in the same sect. There's sectarianism there. He's a Mahayana. Bhikkhu Buddhadasa is a Theravada. The answer is, is that the Dhamma crosses those sectarian boundaries. And when there is no nobility, then they will have infighting and create sectarianism. Sectarianism in Christianity is all done by people who don't know what the teachings of Jesus were. If they did know what the teachings of Jesus were, there would not be any sectarianism in Christianity. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that's great. The sectarianism is in the minds of the fools. Nobility is friendship. No sectarianism there. Knowing the Dhamma, being friends, that's what the real teaching is all about. To go get some camping friends and go camping and forget about the world. Let the world make their own camping gear. <laughs> or as Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. <laughs> well, does anybody else have any questions on this? Well, Jeff's gone and da Daniel is gone, and they're the ones who wanted to hear about this the most. I hope the rest of you are enjoying hanging out, talking about if you really want to get involved with Buddhism, go find some nobles. That's the way to get really involved. Not meditate all day long. <laughs> Meditation all day long is the idea of the Western Buddhist. Oh, I've got to do this all myself. Or the better part of it is, is that, oh, I can't do it at all. I'm not good enough. My mind is a monkey mind. And the answer to that is, no, your mind is only a monkey mind because it hasn't been trained in friendship. 
when you've got your mind completely trained in friendship, then you're a friend with yourself. So you're not chasing your own tail like the monkey mind. So that's the way of looking at it is, is that the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, we over in the West, we overemphasize the Dhamma to where the correct way of doing it is to recognize that the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha is uh, wanting to become free, learning how to do it, and then associate it with those who are already free. That's the way to do it. The Sangha is the top. The Sangha is the important. It's not something that kind of trails behind after. The Sangha is more important than practice, in fact, because when you're around nobles, you are practicing. <laughs> so that's the end of it, is, is that friendship is the Dhamma. The Buddha even said that. There's one, there's a sutta where Ananda comes to the Buddha and says, I've just heard from Sariputta that, that friendship is half of the path. And the, and the Buddha corrects Ananda and says, oh no, friendship is the whole show. All of it is about friendship. Friendship on the inside of your mind and friendship on the outside of your mind. So the entire teaching of the Buddha then is Sangha. And, and Buddha and Dhamma are only the path to the ultimate goal, which is just being friends with everything. That's all there is, is just friendship. And when you're friends with your environment, what more do you want? You didn't ask for anything more. Any people would rather uh, have power than friendship. That's the funny thing about uh, spiritual power. Why would anybody want spiritual power? What are you going to use spiritual power for? To show off? Press people? To take control of them? That's not very friendly now, is it? <laughs> and so the better way to look at it is, is that no, let's be friends with people. Friendship and Confidence, friendship, is power. That's all the power you need. It's the power of friendship. And that's what the Sangha is all about. That's what today's talk has been about. That's the noble Sangha. Aren't we really glad that, that the Buddha created and founded that, that order of uh, uh, the Buddha Sangha? which is nothing but just an old bunch of guys with camping equipment just hanging out in the woods, having a ball together. And they've been doing that for 2,500 years. <laughs> it's the oldest institution in the world. It's a, it's a camping club. Come camp with me. There's room on the porch here. <laughs> So, does anybody have any parting words, any last things to say? Josh, are you comfortable and happy? Uh, yes, this has been great. Uh, thanks, and since Amita uh, was mentioned before, I just want to say, Nam Mami Tofu. Mm -hmm. Anybody else got anything to say? Eric, you got something to say? 
No, Josette, before starting watching your videos, like the idea of joining a, a WAD or something seemed so foreign or an escape. And the the notion it's of... An escape. escape, come get out of your prison, escape with me. <laughs> come hang out in the woods. <laughs> you don't need a warden. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the the notion is, is starting to sink in, and I think it's uh, important that, that we reflect on it like the the meaning of friendship. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, anybody else got any last things to say? Just thank you. I enjoyed being together and look forward to the next week and a call. All right. Well, next week we'll talk more about uh, practice and Dhamma and all of that kind of stuff. But today <laughs> I thought because of uh, um, Daniel's and uh, Jeff's uh, comments that we would talk about what you can do when you're ready to do it. So thank you guys. I really appreciate it. It's been really great. Thank A you. lot of new guys. Really yeah. glad to see you. Thank you all. Okay. See you next time. Bye. Bye. See you soon. <laughs>